You're listening to the Light Forge Podcast, the key to unlocking your arena success with your co-hosts, ADWCTA and Murps. Welcome to the Light Forge Podcast. This is Adwokta. This is Murps. Hello. Uh, hope you guys are having a, a good one. We're close to Halloween. The spookiness is here. All right. And with that... We have dual. We don't have dual class arena. We don't have anything to to with, with the arena right now. Um, I don't know what's happening. I don't know. It's weird. Maybe they'll tell us something next week. Were you expecting but... dual class at some point? Like yes, one hundred percent. I was expecting dual class for two weeks. And you know what? Dual class could still happen for two weeks, right? Yeah, it could happen starting next like Tuesday when they do the updates. They have an announcement and immediately turn it on. And it could go for like a week, which is Halloween, and then go on for another week for no reason, as it usually does. That would be fun. I think that would be fun. If historically you look at why people complained about dual class, uh, it was like, oh, it, it's for three weeks. Wait, what? That's a little bit too long. I think one week would be perfect. Like one week leaves people thinking like, you know, maybe playing a few runs and be like, oh, you know, I wish it were around a little bit longer, but that was fun. Um, yeah. That's kind of what you want people to feel at the end of the event. It's like, oh, I do wish it were a little bit longer, but man, was that fun. And then it, it leaves them looking forward to the next one. You don't want the three-week event in which after a week and a half, people are just like, please, I'm tired of these broken combos. I'm tired of not... How about the eight-week event? Yeah, yeah. So, look, um, I was kind of surprised that they didn't bring it back. We have no actual arena news to report um so we're just going to talk about some basics even though we have literally mm-hmm. like 300 episodes devoted to s- some stuff about basics we're, we're going to talk about some of it again we haven't done a lot of the basics in a while and you know what you you can't access i mean you can you have to go on our youtube channel but uh if you're just trying to download the podcast i think you can only download 100 back so a lot of the earlier episodes are not really available on podcast form anymore they're just available on the youtube channel but they're worth a listen. If you look at a topic and it looks like a technical topic, they're pretty much still applicable now because, you know, it's the fundamentals of the game and fundamentals never change. You may want to, like, take what we say with a little grain of salt if we're like, this is always true and, like, this is how you get seven wins per run. It's like, okay, maybe there's more stuff going on now than there was back then. This will not guarantee you seven wins per run. But overall, that's still, like, a good thing to do be doing and to know what you know how to do those kinds of like technical fundamentals like thinking processes yep so uh right now we were thinking just literally like a few minutes ago uh what should we talk about why not the thing that we ended off with last time podcasts now have continuity we are in the same universe we we continue the storyline just the same Let's just talk about Mulligans. If you listen to yeah. the last one, we discussed Mulligans because it was my little rant of like, oh, uh, what's something I've been noticing during my obvious copious amounts of arena playing? But I like to look back on all my HS replays and just, just see, you know, what, what I could have done better. Um, you would also just get a better sense of the meta by actually seeing what people are playing, how they're playing things. Um, and I'm just looking at these for lack of better terms, I, I'm just going to say uh, terrible, terrible mulligans, okay? And yeah. yeah, so we should talk about what makes a good mulligan good, what makes a mulligan bad, what are you looking for, and things just kind of have to change based on your deck, based on your your likelihood for success, your risk, and we should talk about all those things because you too uh can be better at mulligans and you should be better at mulligans mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where we talked about it last time as well what do you what kind of post do you see on arena hs hey uh i'm gonna put a game replay what did i do wrong here on a specific turn hey what do mm-hmm. i pick here hey what do you think of this card you know like do, do you think people draft it too high draft it too low these are overwhelmingly the things on arena hs mulligans i maybe i've seen one or two questions about like a specific mulligan example it's not like over the last year yeah it's not (laughs) a sexy topic um but so important so so important way more important than that random pick in which if you're debating that pick 
Ah, it's pretty close, man. And I understand mm-hmm. your question might be two drop or ten drop, in which uh, the ramifications are pretty big. But um, no, if you mulligan a little bit better, I'm not saying mulligan perfectly, uh, mulligan better. It's it's worth way more than that random pick. Yeah, and this is going to happen in literally every single game that you play. You have a mulligan, and in about seventy five percent of games that you play, it is not an obvious mulligan. As in, you did not get three ten drops, and therefore you know you have to mulligan them away. Right, or you did not get like your best one, two, and three drops, and you know you're just gonna keep it. Like this is in seventy-five percent plus of the cases, you're gonna have a real decision to make that you have to think some thoughts and come to some conclusion. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed, uh, especially as in this meta, and also in the pri- previous meta, because the game is like going back to classic, right? It keeps like going back to classic and then gets interrupted by ridiculous cards but when you get back to classic it becomes easier and easier to see people make misplays and easier and easier to see people not make misplays and the vast majority of people i face do not make obvious misplays that is i could go if i take a run to to 12 wins and i don't know like 14 games let's say uh there will be less than half of the people that I can catch a misplay playing against them. And I know all their cards at some point, right? Uh, except for the very ending sequences. So I have a pretty good idea if there was a misplay that was an obvious misplay. And I call it out on stream when I see an obvious misplay. Um, and you'll, if you watch the stream, you'll see that I'm making these callouts like less than every other game. Because people are really good at this game. People who play are really good at this game right now. And if you play this game still, you probably are very good at this game. Um, so we're trying to figure out how we can help people get better without like things that like we could fix from people's gameplays. And, and Mulligans really does seem to be like it's a, it's the hidden it's it's your hidden uh, fault, right? I I, I I can sometimes see a Miss Mulligan when it's really blatant, but I don't know what cards you Mulligan away. I only know what cards you kept. You kept. Um, and so I'm missing a lot of the pictures when I judge my opponents. Um, and even then, I do see a, quite a significant amount of miss mulligans. I would say that they comprise of 20 to 25% of misplays that I can catch. And because you can't catch uh, a lot of uh, mulligan misplays, I, I think that means that if you have perfect mulligans versus if you don't have perfect mulligans and you are a random opponent that I face, you will improve your play by like 20, 25% at least. That's pretty huge, right? That's a pretty huge improvement for just one thing that always comes at you in a very similar way every single game, no matter what deck you have outside of like 5% of random outlier decks. Yep. All right. So how do you want to break this down? Like, do, do you have kind of a, 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 a way to break it down? Because I, otherwise... No I idea. You can, you, can just, you can just take the reins okay. and freestyle. All right, sure. So I, let's go from general to specific. Like, we can use some examples in a little bit. But I think what's really important is, before we can talk about, it's like, oh, here's what you should do. What are some key principles of bad mulligans and key principles of good mulligans so let's start with the bad because you're like merps you say that you see bad ones how do you know these are bad because you don't know the complete deck remember i'm looking at Mm -hmm. these from hs replay right so i'm looking at these from hs replay i have about i I typically have at least half of their deck known at least 15 cards known um sometimes i'll have like 20 those aren't as common right but i'll have like about 15 cards known so how do you know you could have not seen like you know you talking about curve you talking about these things um you could have just missed that half of the deck which makes this uh make sense and i can tell you okay so hallmarks of uh kind of bad mulligans are you are playing in a way that takes away from the end goal of your deck so this is one of those things that um that is kind of like it is a little bit deck specific but when i look at hs replay i see that this is a control like like this is a control deck right um they got lots of value they have some generation and they just need to survive into the late game 
and th this is true. I'm going to give you real examples from Mulligans that, that I see. Um, and what they do is uh, they keep like the, the, what was it? The Rusty Raider. They'll keep a Rusty Raider. Um, and it's sort of like, okay, I, I, maybe I can see what you're trying to do. Like the thought is there. It's like, oh, I got to survive. This thing taunts and has initiative or something. Dude, just grab your earlier cards. You cannot keep that card. And if you're keeping something, I'm like, if you're keeping something that costs five, you better keep something really good. Not just a rusty Yeah, if you're keeping race. something that costs five, it better remove the board. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it better be amazing. Like, if you're a mage uh, and, you know, you want to keep, like, Deathborn or something. Yes. Okay, fine. That, that's good. That's cool. Like, you can keep Deathborn, <laughs> one of the, the best, like cards whether you're ahead you're behind like it's just one of the best freaking cards in the game okay you want to keep that whatever that's fine but i see what like what the deck is i'm like oh you're trying to control you're trying to do these things the rusty raider if you get behind early it doesn't do enough it can kill one thing on the board right it will kill one thing on the board i will give you that and then it's like gonna be a one five a one four probably um like maybe even a 1-3 on the board, and that's not enough. And you wasted it uh, in terms of you didn't... You, you perhaps should have just gotten a 2-mana two 2-3 two, to play on turn 2, right? So that's how I know the mulligans are bad. And I, I think it's important to point these out because you want to go be critical of your own mulligans. And you also want to mm -hmm. see how other people are making mistakes, right? You, you want to see these things. That's number one. Number two, you're not playing. Well, let, let's 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 stay in number one oh, for, okay. for a second. Like, I mean, I don't want you to just roll through it all. I got I got ideas. You I have ideas. That's, that's I'm Mulligan. You 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 uh, Mulligan. This is true. So when it comes to saving one of these cards that are uh, that are kind of on the high side, like a high mana uh, side, one you definitely don't have your curve yet. Like maybe like because you can't have two, three, four. And then save a five. Because you only have three cards in the mulligan. Like, if you are doing this with a coin, then maybe you can. But you have to have everything else lined up. If you don't have everything else lined up, the bar is very high. It's like, you have to have a presumption that you should be mulliganing this card away. Whatever the card is. And then that card has to really justify its existence in your opening hand. Like, just, just pretend like you don't like the card. Like, if the card ever has like a four or a five mana or above on it... Just your presumption is that you don't like this card and you want to throw it away. And it has to convince you that it's going to be worth it if you hold on to it. You should not be trying to convince yourself to hold on to it. You need to let the card, in connection with your deck, to speak to you and convince you to hold it. And if you're like, how do my cards talk to me? This is ridiculous. My cards don't talk. I'm going to throw all of these away. That's good. That's very good because you need to throw these cards away. And then when a Deathborn comes, you're like, ooh, like that's when you'll know. Because if you're holding a Deathborn, you're debating whether to throw it away or not. You're like, ooh, this Deathborn is speaking to me. I should really keep it. That's, that's the degree to which it has to speak. Like just imagine, picture in your head, you see a mulligan and you don't have any. You have like a 10 drop, a 10 drop, and then a Deathborn. You would be really sad to throw the Deathborn away. Now, picture in your head, you have a 10-drop, a 10-drop, and a Rusty Raider. Eh, once you go, eh, it's not speaking to you anymore. Now you're trying to justify it for some reason. And don't do that. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. And, of course, the, the bigger the number, the more it has to speak to you. So Deathborn's actually a very low mana-costing card. So it doesn't even have to speak to you that hard. But if it's like a Ysera, even assuming that is the best card in the game, like... Let's pretend we're not talking about me and we're talking about someone else who thinks that Ysera is one of the best cards in the game. And you see a Ysera in your opening hand. It's a 10-drop. Ysera's not that loud. Ysera's not speaking to you that much. If Ysera speaks that much to you, you're doing it wrong, right? Like, you're not keeping a Ysera in your opening hand um, without a curve. If you have a curve, I still wouldn't keep it ever. But you have a little bit more of an argument, right? But it has to be like a good 2 and a good 3 and then Ysera. And then your rest of your deck has to suck. Even then, you should really just be like, I want to luck into drawing my Ysera if I'm going to get it. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my two cents on on when to when to go go big. Yeah. Um, 
the next point I wanted to make is uh, uh, essentially you want to see what you want to do or what you can do to increase your win percentage the most and what that means typically so that's the big picture statement the small statement is you typically just most of the time want to be a little bit more aggressive in your mulligan than what you're used to um i i think overall like if you're just like murphs i have no idea like i'm bad at self-assessing my advice to you is going to be mulligan a bit more aggressively than you're used to because from what i have seen mm. and i actually I, I got really curious and, and because of that i just started watching like all my replays i'm like how, how did this person mulligan um people are way too safe as in they will keep a bad three mana three four and then look at their deck and i'm like look unless their deck is really weird they have literally no other threes and their curve is super different for the like, like they keep it without a two drop yes they they oh. yeah they keep like a three like for example they'll keep the three mana three four that that um infuses even you know when yeah, the card is yeah. in the deck it's like it's it's yeah. nothing right it's, yeah, it's just it's a, a spider, it's a spider tank. tank right it's a spider tank with maybe like one tempo point of upside later on that mm -hmm. is like delayed right like you, you can think of it like that they'll keep that and i'm just like oh there is no way like i i i can kind of understand the thinking there in which it's like oh you know it's something to play early turn three isn't that far away but typically if you want some sort of advice generally it's like well i you know I, merps i'm not good at evaluating my gameplay but i i wouldn't like to try out something different just do like yeah be more aggressive I, I think it's one of those things where i gave you guys that advice as well i'm like okay if you're averaging like four or five wins and you are trying to trying to figure out how to how to get higher i'm like go face but don't just go face and forget about it go face mm -hmm. and if there is a quote punish first of all think about it and it's like oh is that an actual punish or you know was i gonna lose anyways and it was still a good play but if there's actually punish then you're you know what the punish is here with the mulligan if you keep that you always kind of lose but not like completely bust right so you're just like oh okay i'm all right the spider tank on turn three, if your if your uh, opener is either nothing or incredibly weak, is not an opening at all. You you might as well just just go for it and get something better. So yep, that is one thing in which I wanted to really stress. If you take away nothing from this, or if you're just like man, Murphs, I don't feel super comfortable. Of you know, you talk about all this evaluation. I don't really know how to do it myself. Go. Be more aggressive. Be and that also means for more tempo-oriented, aggressive decks, you get a okay. You are on the play, which means you don't have uh, you don't have the coin. You're going first. Um, you have a two drop, a four drop, and like an eight drop. You know that you are supposed to toss away the eight drop. I think most people would toss away the four. You definitely should toss away the four. Yes. And the two, depending on the deck, yeah. and if you're drafting my decks, I always toss away the two because I have mm -hmm. enough twos and I will have some ones that I need to get the one. And if you are afraid that the deck will screw you if you toss the two away and you won't get a one or a two, I, look, you got to play the percentages. If you're afraid to go all in with pocket aces, what are you doing at the table, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that—that that is what it is at the end. Like, if somebody, you know, hits... Like if you if you get your money in where it's good, you are going to win. So be more aggressive. Whether you have an aggro deck or if you have like just a lot of decks in general, try to be more aggressive. So one thing that I always say in like life in general, but uh, you know definitely in games of chance like Hearthstone, uh, is you always have to put yourself in a position where good luck is something you can take advantage of. Because everybody's going to get good luck and everybody's going to get bad luck. Um, just kind of how things work. It may not be even. It's random, right? But, but it happens. Uh, you, no one's going to get only bad luck. But if you keep putting yourself in a position where it doesn't matter if you get good or bad luck, then you must have the ace in your hand. 
that means you must be looking at it and be like, I win the game here, right? Like Deathborn, which is the example we keep using. If you're just doing it because you think this is good enough, it's not good enough. You want to put yourself in the position where you can get lucky. And if you're not putting yourself in the position where if you do get lucky, you can do something with that, then you're missing out on all the upside of getting lucky. You'll still get lucky. It just won't matter. Like, that's... I, I, I hear this comment a lot whenever we stream, like, streamer luck. I think a lot of streamer luck really just boils down to the fact that streamers take more risk. Because streamers are better players. And so they know the correct percentages, which is always more risky than... Which is more risky than the vast majority of players do. So that when the good luck hits, the viewer is watching this and being like, Oh my god, that was like a 1 in 5 chance you had to have gotten it on this turn? 20%! What are the odds? And you're like, okay. I mean, we all know the odds are 20%, right? Like, that's not uh, the question. But 20% hits 20% of the time. Not never. And I think a lot of people just internalize stuff like 20% is like zero. You know, or like 10% is like zero. Or like 5% is like zero. For me, I internalize 1% is like zero. But anything above 1%, I'm trying to do the actual percentages. So if you're throwing away all your cards, your chances of actually getting a 2-drop or a 3-drop back are decently high. And you may not want to take that risk if you have a really good deck that is late-game focused and you just need a croc and a spider tank to get you across, right? Like, and you just want to take a little bit less damage, and that's all you need. You know your deck. Fine. But your deck is never good enough to hold a spider tank without a croc. Ever. Unless you have no crocs in your deck. If you have a deck which has no two drops, or maybe like one two drop, and you're just like, I give up on two drops, um, then yeah, you know, hold their spider tank. But with that exception aside, you have a spider tank, you have two other cards that you know you're going to throw away, that always means you also throw away the spider tank. The time that you may consider keeping that card is when it's a really good on-curve defensive card that is even better if you don't play a two-drop. There's like a couple of these around, like Lone Champion is one of them. It's not even good enough to do that with, but like you get the idea, right? Like it gets a bonus in there. Or like the Orc is pretty good these days. It's one of the best neutral cards in the... Uh, in the game right now, actually. Um, the, the three mana orc that's a 3-6 and becomes only one attack after it gets hit once. Like, that's a card that you really want if you're kind of trying to play defensively on turn three. So maybe you keep that one without a two-drop because that's a significantly above-value three-drop. But you never keep anything remotely in the realm of spider tank. Like, without a two-drop. So, like, Merp says, be more aggressive, and that's that's definitely what you should do. Like... When you're more aggressive, all of your good luck turns into good things. When you're not aggressive, only a portion of your good luck turns into good things. You're just wasting the rest of the good luck. Now, it is possible to be over-aggressive, but uh, I highly doubt that more than like 5% of you out there are overly aggressive in your mulligans. I, I would say I have not seen... In all my games, and look, I, I could be a little bit wrong, you know, I don't see the, the full deck of these people. I have not seen a single person in my games be overly aggressive. Like, you know, they, they toss away a decent mm -hmm. two, and I'm just like, oh, based on your deck. Like, first of all, people don't toss away twos. They, they like, keep them. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmingly, the mulligan is super safe slash bad because they keep, like, a... a a bad four um or or they'll they'll just keep like like okay you know what's a common keep i see people doing fire plume Grim phoenix. necromancer oh. okay no oh. they'll keep like a fire plume phoenix but no two okay. and no three they'll just keep that and i'm just like what on the bright side if you miss your curves fire plume phoenix is better <laughs> yeah than it would be if you actually curve out like it's not the worst thing like you know it's not but like it, it is also still very, very... It, it's just suboptimal, right? Like, like low EV. I, I, I don't know mm -hmm. what the uh, what the Fireplume Phoenix is supposed to be. Unless you can directly see the future, right? It, mm -hmm. Can there be times in which it is good? Yeah, of course. Of course it could be. Um, but I see that it way too often 
uh, people are way too safe and they could be correct, right? Like maybe way too safe is correct in their case, but I almost never ever see somebody do something which I'm just like, whoa, this is risky. Like they, they took mm -hmm. a real risk here. So it also means um, that if you are out there and you're like, oh, I don't want to go too risky, just probability wise, you probably won't. Cause you're almost- extremely unlikely yeah. to be a player who is playing too risky. Like you have to be, you have just watch some streamers, right? If you're like, oh yeah, I'm significantly more risky on my mulligans than all these people. Then like, okay, maybe you are too risky, but um, you're, you're probably either around that area or more conservative. And once you try to be too risky and you play a couple runs, it'll come back to bite you because of odds and you'll know. Uh, it's a very easy feedback mechanism. The problem with being conservative is that there's no feedback mechanism that is obvious. It's very subtle, right? Like you lose subtly when you're keeping your Crocs and your uh, and your spider tags and not being more aggressive. Uh, whereas if you're aggressively mulliganing and you get you know all your big cards and then you can't play for three turns and you lose the game, you're like, I know why I lost. You know, I I mulliganed away my two drop and I shouldn't have because I didn't get a two back. Um, it's just it's very instant and painful feedback. So that's why people are not. Uh, aggressively mulliganing too much um yep you can you can only get bad feedback through not being aggressive enough when you are more aggressive you are always getting good feedback or you're getting insane luck and then you can just keep continuing right until your luck turns and then you'll get the bad feedback <laughs> yeah no basically uh, um I, I see some i see Sh uh shrimp in chat ask a very good question which is what if you don't have good threes like if you don't have good threes I think the question is like, uh, let's say you're going first, uh, you have two cards that you know you're going to throw away, none of them are two drops, and one of them is a spider tank. Do you keep a spider tank if, like, that's basically your best three drop? So, okay, we are going first, right? We're going first? We're going first, yeah. I would. If you're going second, you can obviously keep the three drop. Because right. you can do whatever and then coin three, three, right? That's, that's a normal play. Yeah, so... The question I would have, and these are the questions that you should be asking yourselves in that situation. Okay, I don't have threes. What is in my deck then, right? Because if what is in my deck is just large cards, and hopefully with large cards I have drafted appropriately, which means small, you know, utility cards, small removals, those kinds of things. Um, how many of those do I have, right? Like, am I also... So... How many of those do I have? Um, what one drops do I have? Hopefully you have some because one drops are very multifaceted now. Like they typically draw you a card and you can drop them. I typically don't need just a spider tank on turn three. Um, I might, it always depends on the deck. I might still toss it because I think keeping that three, um, but you missing out on your other, I'm going to guess good other cards at least good at like pushing off aggression so you can get to your your late game once again I'm making a lot of assumptions here if you don't have good threes you, so you have no aggro deck right this is not a tempo deck this is not an aggro deck um otherwise you you, you should have gotten the amount of threes so mm -hmm. i'm going to assume this is a attrition slow control deck slow mid-range deck right not necessarily control but like just slow mid -range it's slow deck. yeah yeah it, it, it's slow you maybe it's a combo <laughs> thing as well right that's fine, but those decks typically have some sort of defense. So I want mm -hmm. to draw into my defense. Spider Tank is not really part of any defense. There are quite a few fours that are better uh, for that. So even if you miss out on your three, there are catch-up fours, right, that are great. Um, Scorpid, for example, is a great sort of like catch-up mm -hmm. four, right? I would rather have that than uh, Spider Tank in my hand. And on turn three, what I can do is like one drop in Hero Power uh, and then follow it up with like the Scorpid that I may not have gotten if I didn't throw back the three. So Spider Tank, in my opinion, is just not good enough in this day and age, um, judging by, you know, you saying, uh, if, you, if you don't have threes, uh, I'm going to make guesses on what sort of deck it is. And if you're saying, well, my deck just completely sucks, then we don't need to have this conversation total, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that your deck has a certain quality. Like, you know, you're expecting this deck to be able to, to, to win a decent amount of games. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree for with what Merps is saying for actual control decks. But for mid-range decks, 
And there are mid-range decks that I've drafted because cards just suck right now, especially three drops. There are mid-range decks that I've drafted that is not like particularly slow or whatever. It's just a mid-range deck. It's not super tempo. It's not super control. I don't have a Ysera at the end of my deck. I don't have a uh, board clear or maybe I have one board clear. And I also am not really pushing face in a way that can end the game against most decks. I just have a bad deck. It's not a horrible deck, but it's just a deck that does nothing. And three quarters of your deck these days that you draft are going to be decks that do nothing. And if you're not a warlock, your decks that do nothing actually do nothing. If you're a warlock, your decks that do nothing still do stuff because you have near endless card advantage, right? As long as you don't get hurt. Uh, but uh, warlock aside, your decks that do nothing do nothing. And if you have a deck that does nothing and has nothing, and you're trying to like play at like the two one, like two win one loss like bracket or whatever, um, I would say if you have other three drops that are equivalent to spider tank. Let's let's say you have four spider tanks in your deck and you have one of them in your hand right now you're debating whether to mulligan away or not to get a two drop you do it you mulligan it away to get a two drop even though the next three drop you get will never be better than a spider tank it will just be another spider tank um but if let's say spider tank is actually your best three drop and your other ones are all three threes or you just don't have other three mana cards you just have like two three drops and let's say they're both spider tanks and you have like five two drops like normal do you throw away your one spider tank and try to get a two and then a three and then a four? I don't think you do. In those cases, I don't. In those cases, I do keep a spider tank. But we're talking about bad decks here. Like, these are bad decks and bad situations. And you are not at a high enough win rate where you're like, I need the ace or I have no shot at this, right? If this deck is somehow 4-0, then I'm throwing the spider tank away. I need to curve out or I'm losing, right? Um, but um, so, so you're also taking into consider it's like okay, this is going to be like a o one game or zero zero game, and I I feel okay doing this. That, yes, like, okay, yes, I'm okay. definitely taking that into account because that's the thing with conservative, right? Like you're never going to punch above your weight if you're conservative. You're you're purposefully limiting yourself and taking away your outs. Um, so. If you're so in that case, like I've done it a few times, um, where I just end up with a deck without like significant amounts of threes, and then I've kept a spider tag, and which was like, well, we better get one of our five or six twos because that is actually higher odds to get one of our uh, our five or six twos, um, you know, uh, uh, while keeping the spider tag than it is if I throw away the spider tag to increase the odds of getting the two, but then. To also get a three back or to get a one drop that i can one drop hero power with like you just you play the odds right and you know like you actually do the math on this if you want right like just count the number of cards in your in your deck see how many twos there are and how many threes plus one there are and then add another pull for your three drop compared to your two drop so for your two drops uh if you're if you're mulliganing away um uh, only two you're gonna get two back then you're gonna get one draw then you're gonna get another draw that's four cards for your three drop, if you're mulliganing all three away, you're going to get three cards uh, back, and then you're going to get one, two, three. So it's four to six ratio. So if the amount of two drops you have is not more than a, um, if the amount of three drops you have is not more than a, a four to a four to six ratio to your twos, then you go the other way, right? Four to three being two to three. I mean, sorry, four to six ratio is a two to three ratio. So that's the technical breakdown of when it will behoove you to keep the three. And that happens. You can have a deck just without ones and threes. Like, that That totally, like, happens. But it is very rare. And if it is not very rare for you that you end up with that kind of deck, then you are drafting wrong. Then you are drafting too, too risky. And you are not settling for those spider tanks when you should be settling for the spider tanks. All right. So, look... Um... I think we've gone through some good examples. Uh, you, you, well, talked about basic principles and tied them to sort of specific examples as well. Let's just go back <laughs> once again. I need to drill this through people's heads. If you want to get better and if you want sort of like a testing sort of like phase where you do a few runs, not, not just a few games, a few runs, um, and you want to change something, change something up, be more aggressive with your mulligans. Don't just be satisfied um, and look, don't go crazy here. Like, if you have really good two into really good three, don't just be like, oh, I don't have a one. So, you know, Murphs and Adokta told me to to basically toss away this, like, premium two into Forensic Duster. D don't, 
don't do that. <laughs> Please don't do that just to be like, well, then I can squeeze in a Voodoo Doctor on one and then still have the Premium 2 and Forensic Duster uh, if they come back. Um, but I, I would say if you're out there and listening, you're like, man, I want to be higher on the leaderboard or I want to make a leaderboard push or I just want to, you know, increase my win rate, uh, get a little bit more gold. Um, I would be shocked if you didn't increase your win rate just by being... Mm-hmm significantly more aggressive in the mulligan mm-hmm. yeah yep uh why don't you go in a little deeper on on what kind of deck you need to do the move because i'm sure nobody does this move which is you have a hand that has let's say you get a two drop at two ten drops or two five drops and we all know we're mulligan away to two five drops because it's an aggressive deck when do you mulligan away that two drop and what kind of deck situation and how does the quality of that two drop matter or is it just that you need a one so even if it was like the best i don't even know what the best two drop is these days maze runner uh i really don't know um i think maze runner is a good uh example of a a top percentile two drop yeah like like a prism vile fiend yeah uh, like you know, I'm, I'm looking at the win rates. Yeah, and Prism Valfine is number one. Maze Guide is uh, is number two. Uh, Hench Clan Hawksteed, which is not exactly a, a, it's not getting its most value as a curve card. So yeah, so we'll just say a Maze Guide. Um, like if you had a Maze Guide, when would you throw that away? Versus if you had a Croc, when would you throw that away in this scenario? What kind of deck do you need? How many ones? How many twos? How many threes? How good of a deck? Does it matter? You know. Ooh, uh, so first of all, for me, throwing away Maze Guide is really tough like okay it, it, i i would okay so what i would do in okay let's say you know my hunter decks right in which i'm mm-hmm. really giving away value I, I i am uh um like even in those cases in which i really want a one because my deck has a decent amount of ones um in those cases i'm like okay i am almost never keeping a three unless it's like a super duper good premium three like duster right okay yeah uh, like mm-hmm. duster it, I, i'm not so ke- even in the most aggressive decks if you're going I, first and yeah. you have a maze runner and a duster you're not throwing away the duster no that's a little bit too good because uh, d- duster okay. is too good right for what i'm trying mm-hmm. to do as well that's a little bit too good so n- no there but if it's anything like a spider tank plus you know a spider tank plus let's say it's an orc yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm tossing away the orc in order to get a one drop, but I'm keeping the maze guide. So these are my okay. super aggro decks, right? Yeah, super aggro. And, and and if I'm keeping the maze guide in my super aggro decks, basically every other deck, yeah. in my opinion, is keeping the maze guide, right? Okay. Now, croc. So when do you throw a croc? Okay, I definitely toss it f- for my aggro decks. I'm like, screw this croc, you know? I-, I want that voodoo doctor on one, and then whatever two I end up grabbing, which I should, we talked about percentages, right? Whatever two I end up grabbing, it's going to be at least as good as the croc, probably. Um, yeah, right? so, okay, so what's the line of ones and twos that you have in your deck for you to pull this move? When you say, my super aggro decks. Let's say, uh, you know, yeah. Like, what, what, how many ones and how many twos would you be, would you say is the bare minimum you need for it to qualify into the super aggro, and so I will throw away Croc. I would say, okay, so I would combine it as in, like, so my decks, uh, you know, those sorts of decks usually have, like, at least four one-drops, preferably five one-drops, right? My decks have four one-drops these days. Yeah, yeah, like, (laughs) well, the the thing is, some of them can also just be, like, uh, aggro doesn't, it's not all just about the one-drops, right? It's not just all Mm -hmm. all about the one-drops, because I'm also talking about one-drops, right? These are... Because, you know, you can also have one mana spells, right? W- w- would you count an Og Merchant as a one drop? Yeah. In your ag- super aggro decks? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, look. Um, at least that many one drops. Two's at least, like, seven. <laughs> uh, okay. Like, you know, six six to seven. So, I would say that's, like, half the decks, then. So, no, no. The only difference is with my deck it's not just about sort of it's where the deck tops off and then instead of bigger drops i have utility cards i have like a you know something like a grievous bite right uh or i'll I'll have um uh like that that 
twin twin spell that that deals like two damage or something instead of bigger drops because i want okay the but your odds of getting ones and twos no matter how many utility cards you have and how many whatever is in the rest of your deck they're all the same so like if you have four yeah yeah one well, drops that's a and difference seven, and then drops, this that's... is like these are the minimums right i'm talking minimums to, yes, to, this is to the bare start minimums. to to start to be thought of as that and then of course there's like the play style differences but yeah the, those are the bare minimums i would say Interesting. With with seven two drops and four one drop, I would never throw away a, a, a croc. I, I I definitely would because I think with the way that my decks play as well, in terms of I I need to use that one mana, right? I need to use that first mana. If I don't use that first mana, I'm already giving up so much because that's that's huge. But you know, right? if you only have four one drops, you're unlikely to be able to use that first mana anyway. Like, very unlikely. You have uh, how many draws into it? You have okay, one. Uh, uh, let's say you throw away your okay, two drop, three, four. You have four draws into it out of 30. I'll say that that is the minimum so I would that's say to 13 percent. But I typically have more. I'll, I'll typically have like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that's how much you have. I mean, when do you do it? I don't mean when do you think about it, but when do you do it? Are you really throwing away a croc on two for a 13% chance at a one drop? Yeah, because I, I'll always get a two back as well, right? Like not always, um, but like I'm get, I'm getting a two back. Your chances well. of getting a, a oh, well, okay, this is not the the most scientific way of doing it. Uh, I'm not going through the whole thing, but it's it's more than seventeen. But let's say it's like twenty percent chance to get a, a a two drop back if you have seven. Oh, sorry, so you have seven of them. Um, one sec. Okay, sorry, I'm doing this wrong. I'm gonna do this right or. Close to right. I'm going to do it right in a rounding way, okay? So the amount of one drops that you will get is a little over 50%. That's the chances that you'll hit a one drop. It's a little over 50%. The chances that you'll hit, a, it's actually probably a little under 50%, but whatever. Um, uh, it's around 50%. And the amount of times you get a two drop back with seven, like, uh, to be on curve, yeah, you are, you are very likely to get a two drop back. Yeah, so I'm, I'm taking that. Okay. Okay. Like you're, what's the percentage? Like how likely are you to get get a two get, back? get a two drop back? Yeah. I, I I can't do that calculation super super fast. Okay, sure. Because I have to loop through a whole bunch of stuff, right? That's fine. Yeah. So like yes, it's a, it's a card the, game. The, I just did a really like back of the napkin one for one drops because there's only four. Uh, there's only four. Where? Yeah. Where I would keep the croc probably is like. Some of those meta mage decks, you know the ones I'm talking about, right? Like if you you guys are out there and listening, you know which sort of mage decks I'm talking about in which you might not have the Deathborn, but you're still, okay, look, you, you got one or two conjurers, you, you, you want to generate, you want to just do all this BS mage stuff, put the croc out. You want that two, three on two. Like you could have some better stuff, but man, you just don't want to die before you do your dumb things, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think Croc in in those sort of decks, uh, it, th that's like one of those like great keeps. Like, oh man, mm -hmm. I feel so much better now that I have this Croc. It's really in those kind of, um, not, and not just aggressive decks, uh, uh, but like kind of you know, decks that aren't as uh, kind of, end game or combo oriented in which you just have to 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 live right you're trying to push a little bit it's yeah. i I, th I think you have to consider it's like okay the croc is definitely not you know it's not the best two in the game i definitely want to think about it um but going back to our initial question i don't think you ever toss maze guide in these okay. more typical scenarios i never would it doesn't matter what the mm. deck is um you know th that mage that we're talking about the priest that we're talking about my hunters no one tosses uh, Maze Guide um, in, in any of those scenarios. It's just a little bit too good, you know? All right. Well, I mean, I think that was really helpful in terms of uh, just putting down some some guideposts, right? We talked about when to mulligan threes. We're now talking about when to mulligan away twos. Obviously, you don't mulligan away ones. And we have a general rule that you mulligan away fours unless, or and especially cards more than four, unless something crazy is, is going on with, with either your deck or more likely, um, uh, the card itself being some absurdly powerful card. Um, so I think that's a that's a good guy. But if you listen to this, like, how many of you are mulliganing away Crocs? 
Like, I'm betting no one is. I'll do it, like, if I have, like, six one-drops. Like, I'll mulligan away a croc every now and then. But I even rarely do it. And I have a much higher bar than Murps. But that's how aggressive uh, you should be. Right? Like, I actually think, now that I ran the numbers, um, four is actually the correct line. Like, if you had five, I think you would definitely do it. I don't even think you're... you're, you're th now that I'm looking at the numbers, if you had five one-drops in your deck and seven two-drops that are croc level or above and you had a croc and no one drop, I think it's 100% chance of the correct move now to mulligan away the croc. I think before I would have thought about it there, but my thinking about a line was more conservative than yours. And I think you have the right line. Or like, you're like a little more aggressive, or I don't know how often you would actually do it when you say, I would think about it. Um, but I think you're, you're a tiny bit on the more aggressive than you should be part, but I think I was significantly on the more conservative side. And I know that I'm more aggressive than the vast majority of people. You're definitely more aggressive. Yeah, you're definitely more aggressive than the average person I am quite aggressive. Like I, I will, I will push. Um, but you know that comes from playing the style that I play, right? Mm -hmm. As well. In which case, uh, I, I just. I'm I just talking even that. in a normal mid range deck. Like if it's not one of those control decks, if it's just a normal mid range deck, I think if you have five one drops and seven two drops for whatever reason, because you don't really control your draft, right? And seven one drops could, like, sorry, seven one drops, five one drops could still be a mid range deck if some of those one drops are card drawing cards or like whatever, right? Like I mean, like even if it's not just to be aggressive, even though some of those one drops are like one one draw a card or whatever, right? I think you would still do that mulligan. Now that I'm like looking at how high the odds are of getting a one drop and or getting your two drop back. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that, that that was super helpful. Uh, hopefully that helps you in your uh, in your mulliganing, and it gives you something like you know, even if uh, you don't know if you need the help or not, go a little aggressive. See see how how it works. Right. This is. This is Hearthstone. Nothing much is happening right now. Um, make your own content. This is what I've learned by playing Diablo Immortal. You just sometimes you just got to make your own content, um, and uh, and this is uh, this is a uh, good content. If you uh, it happens every single game, you get a new mulligan. You get to try something new. It's very true. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, do you have uh, something else to, no, to talk? No, I don't. Okay. No, I do not. Uh, we'll do a question from the go just because I'm curious about it. Question from the go. We'll make it focus on the other Blizzard games right now. So I'm not going to ask Murps to talk about Diablo 4 beta because there is a pretty intense NDA from what I hear on it. Uh, he got in, I didn't, but, but brand new's in. She just hasn't installed it yet, so I'm going to play it at some point. But Murps has also been playing... Overwatch 2, and we've obviously still been playing Diablo Immortal for a certain number of hours every week. So, uh, how, how is Overwatch 2 for those who haven't gone in and like tried the game yet? I haven't played Overwatch 2. I haven't bought the game or played it. I only played the beta back in the day. You know what? Look, you're, you're going to hear a lot of jokes about Overwatch like 1.1 or something. Yeah, yeah, Overwatch 1.1. How's Overwatch 1.1? It's pretty solid. I'm enjoying it. Look, are there some balance uh, issues? Are there some things that I wish were uh, a little bit better with it? I mean, I wish the PVE were out. That's for sure. I, which, you know, I think... Of course, that's when I'm coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, the PVE hopefully is going to be super sick. Because that's the thing that they've been working on for years, right? So for those of you who are like, oh man, like they spent years on this. No, no, no. They spent years working on the thing that you <laughs> haven't even seen yet. This is... They were forced to release this one. They were forced to release this. Re remember, they weren't even supposed to release this this year. And then they were like, oh, it's real bad if we have the Overwatch League. Uh, and people mm -hmm. watching something that they literally can't play. Like, who does that? And also, right? Diablo 4 is coming out next year. Like, why would you stack your giant releases in the same year? Yeah. They're still going to do it. But, like, this is just terrible timing. So, look. Um, what I am going to say about Overwatch 2 is that I think the seeds are there for a much more kind of like fun experience fast paced and fun experience in overwatch one because you take away the other tank and i'm not saying it's balanced right now because sojourn and genji are like you know they're really annoying zarya is super annoying i think people see all the balance issues currently but 
Double Shield in Overwatch 1 was annoying AF. It was super duper annoying. It was really slow. People make all the memes about it's like, oh, let's shoot the next shield. And it's kind of true. That's that's what it came down to. And Blizzard really didn't want that, right? They wanted fights to be more dynamic. They wanted just, you know, more movement. They wanted action to be faster. This is why supports now auto-heal. So as an Ana player, I don't have to either run and get a health pack, then come back into the action and then start healing people. Um, or, you know, use the nade on myself and then continue healing people and then, you know, like hitting my shots. I can just wait, right? I can just wait and if I don't get hit, I heal. Everything's faster. DPS are literally faster. So with a PvP experience, I'm just like, I think the directions overall that they're making are going to create a better long-term sustainable game. But it is a little bit rough right now. So all the current criticisms that you hear, I think are perfectly valid. But I think uh, it's one of those things in which I see the potential there and I see why they went in this direction. So if you haven't played it yet, play it. And look, I too am annoyed that uh, Genji, in my opinion, is just a little bit too strong right now. But that's fine. These things can change. What couldn't change from Overwatch 1 was like, you know, they couldn't keep Overwatch 1 the same. And just sort of be like, oh yeah, there's no more tanks, there's all the... You kind of did have to do either the biggest patch ever or just make a new game, right? Just just make a, quote, new game. A continuation of the, of the first game. Sounds good. Um, we have also been playing a lot of Diablo Immortal. I mean, less Diablo Immortal than we were playing before. Because, you know, it's been getting on and they have, like, been not releasing uh, as much content as they need to. Um, so... The biggest quit wave in the game, like you guys heard all the crap in the in June and then again in July and then whatever, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, game is dying! Game is dying! Game was not dying. Maybe some like of the lower populated servers were, but we were fine. Our server was fine. We were having stuff. This last month, ooh, this was rough. There is a, a lot of inactivity happening now, and it's because the last update it did a lot of stuff." Like, they, they definitely spent a lot of time and energy and stuff to put out a really big patch. Um, but it was really, for the most part, giving players stuff that they did not want. And so they do not want to do it. So they are not doing it. Or they are doing the bare minimum. And that doesn't make for a lot of good content. Uh, they introduced a castle system. And, and here's the thing. The, this is, I think, the most ironic part of it all. The most anti-whale system in the game that took a lot of dev time and probably a lot of balancing, a lot of other stuff. It was like a little bit buggy and they're slowly patching all the bugs in, uh, all the bugs away, uh, is this castle system. It is the most free-to-play friendly system. It helps free-to-play catch up to whales and it is the worst thing to happen to this game. The people who have quit after this system was introduced is at a way higher percentage than any of the quit waves that happened before this. So, a lot of people, like, a lot of complaints and a lot of people talk about, especially in the beginning, about, like, you know, why are you charging so much money or whatever. But at the end of the day, charging people an absurd amount of money does not get them to quit as fast as providing unsatisfying content that does not favor the people who are giving that ridiculous amount of money. And that quit wave is not just whales are quitting. Like a few whales are quitting, but the vast majority of them are still around. It's the free-to-play players that are quitting. So they basically gave free-to-play and like low spenders something that was hugely beneficial to them power-wise relative to the whales. I mean, they didn't like catch up or anything, but it was a big power jump. But it wasn't created in a particularly fun way um but the system is there and nobody liked it and a lot more people left compared to when they just weren't doing it when they were just like doing other stuff and adding other content i thought that was extremely interesting and so whenever people talk about like, oh, why don't devs do whatever? If you're nicer to your free-to-play players, you'll have more of a community and more of a player base. And then you'll get more whales who will want to spend money. You'll actually end up earning more money. Like maybe. But if you don't get it right, 
you're actually going to lose more of the free-to-play players that were perfectly happy playing your game where they are just second-class citizens. But once you give them a system to catch up, and that system is something that they don't want to be doing, now they feel left behind. Because now you've essentially made them third-class citizens. Because you will have free-to-play players who do stuff that they want, free-to-play players who do stuff no one wants to do, but they're just such ridiculous grinders and they don't really care about fun, they just want power. And then people who spend money in whales and whatever. So you've effectively taken your core player base, which is generally free-to-play players who play to have fun, and like maybe they play a lot to have fun, but they don't want to like not have fun. And you have demoted them. So... Yes, everybody's asking for more fun, good systems, but you wonder why devs don't lean super heavily into things? Because a lot of people phrase it in a way, and, you know, I could, I could see why the perspective is there, which is like, what do you have to lose, Blizzard, by making things more fun and better and, like, giving more stuff to free-to-play players? The whales are still going to be, like, more powerful, right? It's not like they're going to stop spending money or, like, they've already spent the money. Who cares? That's not why they're not doing it. Every time a developer in a pay-for-power game goes in and builds a system to try to help low spenders and free-to-play players, they are taking a risk that they alienate those very same people. And then you have even more problems. Like, I feel like... Like, Diablo Immortal is such a microcosm of how to, like, run a society. And this is, like, the government stepping in and trying to solve the homelessness problem. Where you're like, obviously, just give them more money and, like, you know, create more systems to help the homeless people. Clearly, right? Like, easy. But then you actually go into the weeds on how you do that. And so many systems hurt more than they help. So many issues arise in terms of your expectations of how something will be received is actually the exact opposite. And you, like, you know, I don't know. Like, just especially during uh, COVID, there was, like, an even elevated issue where, like, you you have to, you know, the, the homeless who aren't just now, like, a nuisance, they are potentially a danger to society. You really have to, like, help them, and it's to everyone's best interest. And it, everybody, almost everybody, like, failed. And it wasn't even a money thing. At that point, people were quite happy to spend money to help the homelessness problem and resources because um, it, it helps society overall but it just be it just highlighted the same issue that you always have which is that it's very hard to help um so yeah that's that's what i found most interesting in the last month in diablo immortal is that blizzard really did quite a large boost to free to play like a very large boost to free to play way larger than i thought that they would ever do much less like this early uh, I'm not ever, but like I, I thought it was like at least six months away, if not longer. And they did something like that here. Uh, and then all the free-to-play, a l much larger percentage of the free-to-play players than before quit. Yep. That's Diablo Immortal. <laughs> so, look, I'm still playing, but uh, they need to do something real soon. They do. Like, I... I think this attrition has surprised you, right? Like, in the past mm -hmm. week or so, I think even you were just like, whoa, whoa, this is, like, way too fast. Like, they are losing players way too fast. And the problem is, once you start losing these these people, the, the people that enjoyed playing with these people suddenly enjoy the game a lot less, right? Yes. And then it's it really is a slippery slope because, like, okay, player X enjoys playing with 10 other people. Once you take five mm -hmm. of those away, you know, you're vastly increasing the chances that this player goes away, right? And this person yep. is one of the, the people that, like, player Y also likes to play with. It, it, it gets really bad. And then overall as well, when you have a game like Diablo Immortal that relies It's an on, MMO. It, yeah. yeah. It's a society. It's a community. When you start taking away some of these pillars of communities, things fall apart fast. Like, they snowball. Yep. So, look. Um, whatever Blizzard does, they have to do something big. Not just like, oh, we added an extra dungeon. Yeah. Adding an extra dungeon and giving people one more, like, legendary crest a week, let's say, and then additionally being like, uh, oh, we have some extra bundles. Oh, and also we have slightly increased the drop rates. Mm -hmm. It's going to be the exact same thing. Like, yeah. they need something. Those are things that'll work if everything's going well. 
Yes. Those are the ex- expectations of like, okay, this is keeping with the status quo, right? Those yeah. are status quo ones. Um, this like they need a all hands on deck. We need to bring new players in and convince players to come back. So it, it's got to be something huge. Yep. And this is the difference, right? Like in month one, I wasn't worried at all. I knew people were quitting. I knew people were coming in. But we're at the point now where one, there's not a lot of new people coming in. If you guys have watched my stream, you know I've been hawking my recruit a friend code because oh, this is an event. I've been hawking it to anybody who see like anybody who raids us. The first thing I tell them is, "Hey, have you heard of this game called Diablo Immortal?" No, good. Do you want to try it with my code? I only need three people. I just needed three people. I currently have four, but it took a long, long time and a lot of, and I have access to a lot more people than the vast majority of people who play this game, right? Um, uh, just because I not only stream it at people who watch me, but other people randomly rate us. So then I have their viewers, at least for the night, <laughs> to, to hawk my wares to. And over the course of three streams, I was barely able to get four people and three of them haven't completed it yet because they also make you do it for like to level 60 which takes like more than 10 hours uh so it's also a a typically diablo immortal way too hardcore for way too little thing but i want the cosmetic anyway um my 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 point is not even a done deal yet uh and it's really hard to recruit people into this game right now because there's almost everybody's already played the game like i don't know how many people here who are even potentially in a million years open to playing this game and aren't just like, oh, this is a pay-to-win game, I don't play pay-to-win games. Or like, oh, I'm just never going to support this kind of business model from Blizzard. Or whatever, right? But just some some fundamental thing where it doesn't matter how good they make this game, I'm just never going to play it, which is fair. Um, when you take those people out, and then you take out the people who have already played this game at some point, you know, and like either didn't like it or got far enough and got frustrated with something you don't have new people to recruit anymore. You have very few new people to recruit anymore, or at least you don't have gamers to recruit anymore. Maybe they could recruit people who don't usually play games or who don't usually play anything remotely similar to this type of games. But this was a big launch. You already got a lot of people. And then over the course of the summer and September, when the schedules changed, you got more people. Like, I don't fault them for trying to get you know, all the new people that they can, but they are starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel right now in terms of the numbers that they can get into this game. So they need to start getting people back. And in theory, it shouldn't be that hard to get people back, especially if people have spent a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars on this game, right? It should be like, hey, if you make the game good again, you know, the, the, the money that they spent hasn't gone anywhere. It's still sitting in your, your, you know, your character in terms of the power and whatever. And... Everybody already has this game already, if not still installed, then at least like, you know, the Blizzard ecosystem is there. It's pretty easy to have an access point, but you got to do something. You got to do something big to actually bring back the people who have quit because there's no new people left. You can bring back the people who quit in June. You can bring back the people who quit in July. You can bring back the people who just quit. But somewhere along the line, that is the only way forward for this game. Because the game has gone through all the people who are normal gamers. Yep. No, that's that's where we're at right now. And unless something kind of big happens... Like, people don't come back to Diablo Mortal because they're like, Oh, they added one more dungeon. And people are like, what does that mean? Uh, they, They come back if they're like, Whoa, they completely revamped the econ... It's like so one thing they did completely revamp the econ. You are now getting like I want to say five times the amount of legendary crests for free per month than you got in June. At the very well, at the very beginning, it was like so bare bones. Like you yeah. looked at it and you're like, so a free to play player literally never not just catches up, never sniffs like a tenth yeah. of the yeah. Like it, it was so bad. Uh, so now it's better. But e- even then, it's, it's you know, just increasing percentages doesn't do much. You know, in order to get a huge amount of people to play the game for the first time, it would have to be something headline-worthy, right? So yes. that well, is... Well, that's one of the things, is they didn't make this headline-worthy. No. They didn't come out with, like, a campaign that's like, hey, play Diablo Immortal. Now, five times as much Legendary Crest for free-to-play as, you know, for, uh, at launch. They never said that. I'm I'm saying it because I did the math, but they incrementally increased it and they haven't like messaged it out, which is kind of weird. Maybe they're doing it later. 
Um, but yeah, like you need you, you you need something big. I don't even know what it like. Server transfers will help, but I think server transfers is less of a get people to come back to play this game thing as it is a keep the people who are still playing in these miserable servers with no population still playing because now they can transfer and get themselves invested into like a, a real server with population. And, you know, the servers that are, like, dying a little bit, uh, like, our, I think our server's dying a little bit, uh, which is sad because we're, like, a top 10% server. Um, uh, they, they will start getting some of the infusions, and then it'll, like, you know, keep everybody around. Um, but you're not getting people back with, like, it's just a server transfer. So it's, it's needed, and it's the next step. But there's got to be something big coming. And I think there will. They definitely have something big planned for the beginning of December. But it could also just be, like, here's a new zone. You know, this is technically, like, five more hours of content for everybody. Which is, like, good. But that's not solving the problem at this point. Alright, that's our Diablo Immortal rant. Yep. Uh, that's it for this week's Light Forge. We'll see you next week uh, for... Is it Halloween? It's the day before Halloween. Until next week, this is Outlook. This is Murph. See you guys. Enjoying the Light Forge? For the full rundown on Hearthstone Arena draft strategy, card review, and arena gameplay, follow us on YouTube, Twitter, or twitch.tv at ADWCTA. Support the podcast by sharing us with your friends and family, or become a patron at patreon.com slash grinning goat. Thank you for tuning in, and see you next week.